Michael Talley prayed for me this morning. He prayed that the joy of the Lord would be here this morning, and we're going to start out with a funeral song. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I am certain. Probably most of you recognize the song maybe by now. It's top of the funeral music charts. One statistic said one in seven funerals will play this song written by Paul Anka, mortalized by Frank Sinatra. Listen to the words. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, but more much more than this I did it my way regrets I've had a few but then again too few to mention I think Sinatra's four wives six extramarital affairs struggle with depression apparent attempted suicide and anger issues would probably beg to differ he said I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up, and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I did it my way. The last thing that we'd like to say to our friends and family before they forget us into oblivion is, I did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed, and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing, And now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. The epitome of arrogance. I think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way. Oh no, no, not me. I did it my way. This last verse here really strikes me. For what is man... What has he got, if not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels, and listen to this, and not as, not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Ironically, a GQ magazine writer recognizes the substance of the song's lyrics pay tribute to a deeply obnoxious philosophy, a ubiquitous ode to self-satisfaction. The last thing our family wants others to know about us is that we are not one who kneels. We took the blows, spit on the ground, and did it my way. Lest you forget, yes. It was my way. 
this obnoxious ode to self-satisfaction started in the garden. Let's watch in Genesis chapter 3 as we stand on the precipice of all eternity. God has finished his magnificent work of creation, his masterpiece, man. God has enjoyed walking in the splendor of his universe, ever so fond of time spent with his kids. Life was profoundly amazing. But in Genesis 3, the scene changes. There's a major shift. The mood is dark, ominous. The spotlight is on three characters. Heaven and hell, life and death, hang in the balance. Let's watch it unfold as the most cunning of all the wild animals created by God shows up on the scene. Revelation 20 verse 2 calls him the ancient serpent. Look how Ezekiel describes him in chapter 28. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you. Carnelian, topaz, and diamond. Burl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. You were an anointed guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom. So I threw you down to the earth. I made you a spectacle before kings. Pay close attention. The first thing out of his mouth will not be idle chatter. This is a battle for the kingdom of this world. Listen closely or you'll miss it. Has God really said the creator of the universe all the author of all that is good and excellent has he really said you mean to tell me the infinitely loving lord of creation has really said you can't eat from any tree of the garden the tone should not go unnoticed it echoes through time Has God really put restrictions on you? He creates it all for your pleasure. And then he says, no. My outline this morning is simply the threefold enemy deception, the fall, mercy of God. The first part of the deception is the enemy puts the character of God on trial. The enemy gets us doubting the essence of who God is. And he says that at God's core, he is unkind. 
Isn't life only life if it is absolutely unrestrained that is without limits? Isn't that really the essence of the American dream? It's the goal that we strive for, a life with unlimited options, the ability to attain whatever I want when I want it. And how dare God put it in front of me and then say, no. I wonder if the best of the God-fearers among us may arrogantly question God, why did you put the tree in the garden in the first place? Why didn't you, you just allow us to enjoy unlimited access to a life without restraint? And we quickly forget in the tone of the deceiver, the goodness and the generosity of God in Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. Did you hear that? You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. You are free. I think we get the idea that when God created the Garden of Eden and put these beautiful trees in it, that maybe he just put 10 trees in the garden and one of them, he said, No, but I think we should change our imagination and and, uh, think that God created a beautiful garden filled with beautiful trees, pleasing to look at the fruit, very pleasurable. But he says, there's just this one. I'm asking you to choose me. Daily we struggle to trust the character of God, the pure motives of a good father who says, choose me. We doubt his heart, we doubt his plan, we doubt his wisdom, we doubt his way, and consequently, do it our way. The character of God should never be put on trial. We are in enemy territory When we question, has God really said God can't possibly love me and prohibit me? That's just selfish. The passage goes on, Genesis 3, 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden... God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. I think he already has the woman questioning. The second part of the deception is first he gets us doubting God's character. Then the enemy gets us doubting the truth of God's word. Satan is implying that God is a liar. He says in Genesis 3, 4, no, you will not die. Serpent said to the woman, Satan would know. He stood tall before God and did it his way. And he appeared very much alive, standing in defiance against the creator, coaxing Eve to come to her own, not a life of innocence and trust, but a life of wisdom, knowledge. You will not surely die. I hate lying. 
I don't often use, my family does not like to use the word hate, but I think in this uh, situation, it's appropriate. It makes me angry. Deception, hiding the truth, or just outright lying. It's the devil's language. We speak English. Some speak English, Spanish, French, Russian, Chinese, whatever it is. When we lie, we speak Satan. John 8, 44 says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. If he is speaking, he is lying. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And when he is speaking and lying, he is attempting to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He hates us. Maybe why I hate it the most is because I buy his lies. I bite them hook, line, and sinker. Jeremiah 7, 8 says, but look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help you. I do that. The enemy says, buy that and you'll be satisfied. Look at that and you'll experience God-designed pleasure. Do life your way, not as one who kneels, your way, and you will find your fulfillment, your purpose, your passion, your joy, peace, safety, and security, and it's a lie. Those things are found in no other name but the name Christ Jesus. But the enemy says, do it your way. Eat the fruit, lust. Gaze upon the beauty of that lady. She's not your wife. You won't die. Flirt with that relationship. You won't die. Get angry. Be bitter. Get even. You won't die. You work hard for your money. Spend it how you like. Save it so you can live forever. Or at least have no worries. In fact, God says in Genesis, or Satan says in Genesis 3, 5, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The third part of the deception, once we doubt his character and question his word, we surmise that God cannot be trusted. What Satan says here is deceptively true. But remember, if he's speaking, he is deceiving. The implication is that God is holding out on you. God is keeping the best life for himself. You can have your best life now. You just have to do it your way. He's implying that this is something we want, that the knowledge of good and evil is actually better than the lack of knowledge of good and evil. John Piper says, the knowledge of good and evil refers therefore to the capacity and the right to decide for oneself what is good and what is bad, what is helpful and what is harmful. To eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would mean to reject God as the all-wise, all-caring Father who knows what is good for us and in his place to put ourselves. He simply said, that is God, don't try to dethrone me. Don't try to take my place. Trust me to fill your life with maximum joy and meaning. So the question is, 
is he enough? We sing it, but I'm not sure that we could possibly mean it. I think what we mean to sing is you're enough as long as you also give me health, safety, security, well-being, and fulfillment. But that clearly implies that he's not enough. Walking with him is not enough. Trusting his design is not okay with me. I, I need to have a say in this. It's my life after all. It's my body, it's my time, it's my money, it's my prerogative, and he can't be trusted with my life. So Paul says to the Corinthians, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. See, the fruit represents a choice, another option, a plan B, God's plan or my plan, kingdom living or earth living, God's wisdom or my wisdom. The fruit represents that which is desirable for obtaining. Eve wanted wisdom that the fruit promised But Proverbs says that wisdom was found in the beginning with God. Wisdom is found in God's word. We seek peace in trying to orchestrate our life as it should be. But Romans 14, 17 tells us that the kingdom is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We seek pleasure in the stuff of this earth, but David tells us in the Psalms that there are pleasures in his right hand forevermore. We seek hope in promotion and significant jobs, but my hope, as the song says, is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We seek safety in 401k, alarm systems, and insurance. But the Bible says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We seek fulfillment and purpose in career. But he says, I know the plans I have for you. A man plans his way, but the Lord directs the steps. Listen, as God says, my thoughts And my ways are not your thoughts, your ways. My thoughts and my ways are higher than your thoughts and your ways. But the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. A tree is good for food. That tree is delightful to look at. The fruit on that tree is desirable for obtaining wisdom. Look how smart the enemy is. The fruit from that tree will make me like God. That tree gives me the power to decide what's best for my life. How can that possibly be wrong? 
So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Let's not be too hard on Eve. And he ate it. How does this happen? James 1.14 describes how this happens. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to envy, gossip, strife, jealousy, slander, anger, malice, hatred, dissension, abuse, violence, spite, abortion, murder, suicide, bitterness, molestation, fear, lust, rebellion, immorality, adultery, idolatry, theft, drugs, occult, impurity, fraud, hostility, wickedness, unforgiveness, fornication, obscenity, heresies, homosexuality, bondage, drunkenness, pornography, racism, sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Jeremiah tells us the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? We inherited this deceitful heart from the garden. We're lying to ourselves. Man's wisdom inherited from the garden, I call it common sense. The collective intelligence of great minds and a successful understanding of the way life works and how best to navigate life as determined by the good brain that God gave me and those who have gone before me. I don't have to ask God what's best in this situation. I know I've got a brain and I'm going to use it. Look at some of the lack of good common sense in the Bible. Common sense says you don't try to walk on water. Common sense says that if you've got a hungry crowd of like thousands, you don't have them sit down on the green grass when all you have is five loaves of bread and two fish. That's just absurd. Common sense says you don't go to battle with 300 men against an innumerable army. And there's another battle that you certainly don't go to battle with a light bulb and a horn. A common sense says, if you only have two pennies to rub together in your pocket, don't put both of them in the offering plate. By all means, don't sell all your possessions and give to the poor so you can have treasure where? Common sense says you build a wall of security around yourself and your family, complete with all manner of insurance, savings, investments, save cars, and the like. And if there's enough money left over, by all means, invest in heaven. Certainly don't be stupid and sell it all and give to the poor 
so you can follow God's agenda? Do me a favor. Audience participation. This makes everybody nervous. If I were sitting out there, I'd be nervous right now. Reach into your pocket and pull out uh, a, a denomination of American currency. Dime, dollar bill, $10 bill. Go ahead, your wife's purse next to you, friend's purse. There we go. I see some movement. I have my son's uh, spend wallet. Dave Ramsey would be proud of me. Pull out some sort of a denomination. So let me see it. See, thank you, thank you. Those of you who are not holding it up, you are either extremely poor, only have a credit card in your wallet, and don't know anybody who has something, or you just, thank you. And you're just not participating, and that's not nice. Put your hands down. There are a couple things. There are a number, number of things that are stated on the currency, but two I want to point out. One is the United States of America. The other is, in God we trust. If you're looking at a dime or a penny, you have to look very closely. It'll reflect in the light if you twist it just right, get your goggles on, your spectacles. It says, in God we trust. Now I want you to imagine for me for one moment, take in God we trust off of that currency. Just see it in your mind's eye. Take in God we trust off of that currency. Are you worried? Legislation just took place in the American government. They're removing that phrase from our currency. Is anybody nervous? Anybody losing any sleep over that? I have a feeling that it would bring up a topic of discussion in uh, our church services and we'd complain about where this government is going and how horrible it is. But I'm going to sleep well at night nothing's really changed. Put in God we trust back on the dollar, the dime, the penny, but remove, in your mind, the United States of America. Now, are you a little bit concerned? This dollar bill is no longer backed by the power and authority of the United States government. We should be concerned, we would be probably be concerned. And I think it's because of a subtle lie. Now we actually trust the currency that is backed by the United States of America more than we trust God. Go ahead and put that phrase back on the dollar. Put your dollar back, give it to your kid, let him spend it later, put it away. The, de- the truth is that it's in God that we should be trusting. The Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone. Man does, doesn't live, he's speaking of physical bread, but man doesn't live by this alone. But how do we live? What does the word say? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As the song says, when God speaks, a hundred billion galaxies appear. At the vapor of his voice, the planets are formed. When God speaks, manna shows up on the ground. When God speaks, water comes out of a rock. 
when God speaks, all nature listens at the sound of his voice, the winds and the waves obey him. The enemy speaks and lies and deceives and we buy it. Wealth is lying to us. We are lying to ourselves. Satan lied, we bought it. Now we're choosing my wisdom and my common sense over God's wisdom. We choose our plans over God's plan. But there is good news. God's mercy. What's God's response to this? Going to be. The spotlight moves from the three characters. It's now on God. What will the Almighty say? What will the omnipotent, holy, sovereign of the universe do now? His creation has chosen to rebel, to choose plan B, to choose their way. Song says, God of your promise, you don't speak in vain. No syllable empty or void. So listen, Genesis 3.15. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head. That is, Jesus will strike the death blow on the enemy. You will strike his his heel. Satan's blow will be short-lived. I, the Father says, will send my one and only Son, and Jesus will do it my way. And at his shed blood and death, a hundred billion failures disappear. Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. I'll show you what sacrifice looks like, for without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness, no atonement, no covering for sin. But my son Jesus will cover the sins of the whole world so that whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. Genesis 3.22, the Lord God said, since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Can you say thank you, Father? Lamentation 3.22, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my enough. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. 
His mercy would not allow me to live infinitely in this broken state of preferring my life, thinking I know best. If we could get our hands on the tree of life today, we would kill for it. Thank you, Jesus, for not letting us back into the garden. He is infinitely good. His word is absolutely true. He must be trusted. Choose him. Trust in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust his sacrifice as the freedom from the punishment and bondage of sin. Trust him with your life. He is enough. Would you pray with me? Father, would you give us a little joy in this moment? We, we messed up. We chose our way over your way. And we continue to do so, but we say thank you, thank you for your infinite grace, your infinite mercy, your infinite faithful love. And Father, I'm gonna ask on behalf of my people standing before me, sitting before me, that you would enable them to experience you as enough that you would enable them to say no to the deceiver, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one and enable us to choose you as it relates to our finances, as it relates to our relationships, as it relates to work, as it relates to our future, as it relates to everything in our life. May we look to you, trust you, because you are absolutely trustworthy and say, you are It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.